Well, we are continuing a series uh, this morning called Because, and in this series, we are asking a pretty simple question. Why do we do what we do in church? Now, for those of us who've been in church our whole life, uh, quite honestly, if we're honest, we come and we just do it because we've always done it. We may not even really know the reason we do it. We just know that uh, it's been done this way, and mom and dad may have done it that way, and grandma and grandpa may have done it that way, and so we do it. But for others, uh, maybe you are new to church, maybe you're new to the Christian faith, or you're just exploring it, and you really don't know why we do what we do in church. And so we wanted to take a few weeks aside and just look at every element of what we do in church and answer the question, why do we do this? So several weeks ago, we started off and we looked at baptism. Why do we uh, dunk people underwater as part of our worship service? We looked at uh, why we use the Bible in every sermon. We looked, at, uh, we looked at why we ask for money, why we collect an offering every Sunday. We looked last week at why we sing in church. And this morning, we're going to look at why we, and this is for us specifically if you were raised Baptist, eat stale crackers and drink Welch's in church. Uh, when I was a little boy, I remember the very first time my mom, uh, my uncle came to faith in Christ. He had a, a local farmer he was working for, shared the gospel with him, and he came to faith in Jesus. And then my uncle led my mom to faith in Christ. And then we started going to church. And I was old enough to remember when we started going to church. And I remember seeing my mom get baptized, the, the glass, the where it is, and you know, the, watching that, I can see that. And then I remember the very first time we took communion in church. And when you're five, that's snack time, right? I mean, like, finally, something good is happening in church. It is snack time. And it's come by. And I had the biggest shock of my life when my mom, who I thought loved me, passed the plate of crackers right over me to my uncle and didn't give me any. And then the, the juice came by, the grape juice. I thought, man, that, I'm thirsty. Now, I couldn't have the crackers. And then the grape juice just passed right by me. It was the first time in my life that I realized there was something that the people who were sharing in communion had that I didn't have. That was the very first time I recognized that there was something that I needed. Now, at the time, I probably thought I needed it just so I could eat snacks in church. But as I would grow, I would come to learn that it meant something so much more than that. Now, if, you are, if you're raised in church and you come from a different faith tradition, almost every Christian tradition takes communion. In fact, as Baptists, we practice two ordinances. And Scott was right. You've seen them both today. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we call them ordinances, uh, not sacraments, uh, because if you're a part of certain churches, certain denominations, they believe that the sacraments are vehicles by which God gives you his grace. In other words, when you take communion or when you are baptized as an infant or when you go through the marriage, sacrament of marriage, God is giving you grace through that act of obedience. We don't believe that. What we believe instead is that the ordinances, these symbols, are beautiful reminders of what Christ has already done for our salvation. So it's not the fact that we are baptized that makes us right with God. It's not the fact that we share communion together that makes us right with God. What Jesus did for us on the cross is how we received God's grace. We do these things instead to remember. So depending on your background, uh, you may have been in a tradition where uh, communion was something that only priests handled. They may have actually had to set the, set the wafer on your tongue. And, there may, and, and for many people, because it is a means of God's grace, 
going to attend and take communion is critical because that's how they receive the grace of God on a regular basis. And so if they miss communion, then they missed an opportunity to receive God's grace. That's not how we believe or what we believe uh, in, in our church. We believe that it's a reminder. In fact, what I want to talk about today is the fact that the reason we share in the Lord's Supper is because it's an invitation for us to do three specific things. It's an invitation for us to look around, it's an invitation for us to look back, and it's an invitation for us to look within. And I want to walk through each of these, and then at the end of our time together, we're going to take communion the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, whatever your tradition uh, you may have called it as you were growing up, but we're going to share in it together. But before we do, I want to talk about what it is that we believe about communion and what we believe it does for us, and it's an invitation. Now, to do this, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture uh, from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we will put uh, the, the verses on the screens, and there should be blue Bibles on the ends of the pews. Please, please, take that Bible with you as our gift to you if you don't own a Bible at home. Uh, Now, let me set this up for you, because I think this has a lot to say to us today, even this series that we're doing. Paul actually um, preached to a church, wrote a letter to a church, who had forgotten why they took took the Lord's Supper. Uh, Paul had planted the church of Corinth. He was a first century church planter. Paul was originally very much opposed to Jesus and opposed to the church. Uh, He went around actually trying to stop Christians from sharing the message of Jesus. But in a radical way, Paul came to faith in Christ and then became the world's greatest church planter. Isn't that just like God to take somebody and turn them around 180 degrees like that? So, so Paul had gone around to all these cities planting these churches, and he had gone to a city called Corinth where he had planted a church, and he had spent uh, a number of months in Corinth teaching them, and then Paul left. But Corinth, as a church, was a hot mess. I mean, it was they could have made a reality TV show based on this congregation. I mean, they were, there were all kinds of problems going on, all kinds of salacious things happening. But one of the problems that was happening uh, had to do with the way they were coming together and they were taking the Lord's Supper. Now, Jesus had left the Lord's Supper for them as a reminder. And so Paul, planting the church, teaching them, had taught them, hey, take the Lord's Supper. But somewhere along the line, things had gotten really messed up. So Paul is writing this letter back to them trying to correct a lot of things that are going wrong in this church. And one of the things he's addressing is the Lord's Supper. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, this is what the word says. And this this part, this first section that we're going to look at, Paul is encouraging the church at Corinth to look around. And that's what I want us to realize, is that the Lord's Supper is an invitation for us first to look around. Listen to what Paul said. But in the following instructions... I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Now, that's kind of an indictment. Uh, I mean, you come to church for the better, right? You you come hoping to feel more connected to God, more connected to other people. You come to church hoping things will be better, but what was happening in Corinth is every time they got together, things were worse. Um, Some of you may have been a part of a church like that, where like going to church made it worse, uh, you know, because church is made up of fallen, broken people. And, and, and so this was a church like that. Paul was writing to them and trying to address and said, hey, the whole reason you're getting together isn't working out. You're supposed to be getting together for the better, but it's always for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, what Paul is saying to this church is he's really speaking to them um, in, in terms of what was going on in their society around them. There was gatherings of people in the early, uh, in the early first century, uh, part of the Roman culture, would be there would be these uh, groups of people called ecclesias. They were gatherings or assemblies or unions or interest groups. And ecclesias would gather and everybody, for example, who, who might share a particular philosophy or everybody who gathered together who may share a particular political uh, belief or everybody who had a particular trade would gather together in ecclesias. And, and that was what brought these people together and their whole society was kind of organized around these ecclesias. Well, when the church started gathering together, it was called an ecclesia, just like all these other groups. In fact, every time you read the word church in the New Testament, the actual Greek word is ecclesia. It wasn't necessarily a religious term. It was more of a social term. It was a social construct. So what Paul is basically saying to them is that you, unlike all these other people who are divided and gathering up based on these very unique interests that they have in common, you are supposed to be coming together. The church is an ecclesia that is supposed to be bring people together who are different. They might not share the same political philosophy. They might not come from the same socioeconomic background. They might not have the same skin color or speak the same language. But when they come together as a church, they're supposed to be unified. It's supposed to be drawn people together but instead what was happening is they were acting like all the other ecclesias they were dividing people based on those things rather than gathering them together and this was showing up in the way they took the lord's supper listen to what he said in verse 20 when you come together it is not the lord's supper that you eat wait wait a minute paul yes it is Every week we get together and we say all the right things and we call it the Lord's Supper and we eat the Lord's Supper. We do it every week. And Paul say, no, uh uh-uh. You think that's what you're doing, but that's not actually what you're doing. It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Clearly they weren't Baptists if they were getting drunk in church, right? What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I come to command you in this? No, I will not. Paul's saying this doesn't even, this isn't even worthy of my time. This is ridiculous. You're not acting like the church at all. When you're getting together, you're rushing to eat the meals. You're leaving people out. Some of you are getting drunk. Now, one of the interesting things about this is scholars have often wondered through the ages how the Lord's Supper has developed into what we celebrate today. Many biblical scholars believe that the Lord's Supper wasn't just a token meal in the early days, but it was a full meal. That the church would get together and they would share in what was called a love feast. And this love feast was to be a symbol of what Christ did with the disciples. So it wasn't just a little cracker and it wasn't just a little drop of juice. But it was in fact an entire meal that they would share together. So what was going on in the church of Corinth was that the the Roman calendar operated on a 10-day week. The Jews and the Christians operated on a 7-day week. Christians gathered to worship on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. So every seven days, they would gather to worship. But the Roman calendar didn't follow that. So the the Sabbath on the Roman week fell at a different time all the time. 
And there were people in the church from all different economic backgrounds. There would be rich people and poor people in the same church coming together. The thing that unified them was their common belief in Jesus Christ. But what was happening is that the rich folks who had the wherewithal not to have to go to work on whatever day the Sabbath fell would show up on time and they would go ahead and start eating. And by the time the poor folks who couldn't afford to leave work early would get there, all the food would be gone. And everybody who was wealthy would be there. They'd already be drunk. And all the people who showed up who had been working all day would come in and there wouldn't be any wine left for them to even share the Lord's Supper. And so Paul is calling them out for this. The meal that was supposed to symbolize sacrificial love because that's what Jesus did. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. The meal itself was supposed to symbolize sacrificial love. It had become a prime example of the church at Corinth's selfishness. It was exposing their hypocrisy. See, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to look around at the people around us. And Paul was saying, you in the church of Corinth, you're not doing that. You're only thinking about yourself. You're being entirely self-centered. And in being self-centered, you are actually communicating the very opposite thing that the Lord's Supper is supposed to communicate. Uh, back in the, uh, in the 1850s, Frederick Frederick Douglass was speaking out against the evils of slavery. And uh, he was was a fiery prophet. I mean, he was, if you've ever read anything that Frederick Douglass wrote, I mean, it it was, he was lashing out at the evils uh, that were embedded in our society uh, that were associated with slavery and the whole idea of slavery. Well, he gave a very famous speech on Independence Day of 1852. And what Frederick Douglass was pointing out was that every time the nation of, of, the, of America, every time the United States of America was celebrating Independence Day, it was a slap in the face of everybody who was still enslaved. That, that the celebration of independence, the celebration of freedom, was actually being undermined by the practice of slavery. Listen to what Frederick Douglass said. What, to the American slave, is your 4th of July? I answer... A day that reveals to him, more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. You boast of your love of liberty, your superior civilization, while the whole political power of this nation is solemnly pledged to support and perpetuate the enslavement of three million of your countrymen. You can bare your bosom to the storm of British artillery to throw off a three-penny tax on tea and yet wring the last hard-earned farthing from the grasp of the black laborer of your country. You profess to believe that of one blood God made all nations and of men to dwell on the face of all the earth and hath commanded all men everywhere to love one another. Yet you notoriously hate and glory in your hatred all men whose skins are not colored like your own. The existence of slavery in this country brands your republicanism as as a sham, your humanity as a base pretense, and your Christianity as a lie. Now, just think about what he said, and then apply it to the church at Corinth, because that's exactly what Paul was saying. Every time you get together, every time you come and you celebrate the Lord's Supper, a, a, a meal that is supposed to symbolize Jesus' sacrificial self-giving love and you're showing up and you're gorging yourself and people are coming and there's nothing left for them what are you doing you are actually undermining everything that jesus stood for you're undermining everything jesus taught if you do not 
look around you, if you do not consider the fact that Jesus' sacrificial death wasn't just for you, but it was for everybody, then you miss the point of the Lord's Supper. See, the Lord's Supper, the table, is supposed to be a place where we look around and we bring people to join in who may not be at the table because God has set a place for them. God has invited them to come and be a part of the Lord's Supper. And so even today, as you sit in these pews, your attention is up here. That's fine. People leading worship, people being baptized. The Lord's Supper, as I'm speaking, your attention is up here. But you do realize that the invitation of the gospel is to look at the people around you as well. That there are people who are sitting nearby you who do not know where their next meal will come from. There are people in this room today who are terrified because there's a doctor's report that's going to come to them this week, and they don't know what it will say. There are people sitting around you today whose marriages are in crisis, and they put on a good face, and they show up to church, and they look like they're the perfect family, but at home they are falling apart. They're all around you. And when we come into church whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether, it's, whether it is singing together, whether it is worshiping together, whether it is shaking someone's hand, hugging someone's neck, what you do not realize is that what we do here doesn't just matter to you, it matters to the people around you as well. And if you make this all about you, you are undermining the entire message of the gospel. You are making it a hypocrisy. Because the invitation of the gospel is to look around. The invitation of the gospel is to say there is no skin color, there is no language barrier, there is no socioeconomic difference. It's it's an invitation to look around us. So the question is, is this kind of unity even possible? I mean, this seems so ahead of its time, and it was. I mean, the church was radical in its day. This was not heard of for people from different classes and different ethnic groups to be gathered together. The only thing that could bring them together was the gospel, and Paul wants them to know that as well. And he points out how it's possible for this kind of unity to take place. He wants them to understand that the Lord's Supper is an invitation to look around, but it's also an invitation to look back, to look back and remember. Throughout the entire Old Testament, uh, the, the children of Israel were constantly told to build altars to remember things. When Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, he built an altar that was to be a perpetual reminder. Now, it wasn't an altar made of stone or wood. It was an altar that was demonstrated through the sharing of a meal. He took bread and broke it and said, this is my body. He took wine and said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. And he said, as often as you do this, do this in what? Remembrance of me. This is your altar of remembrance. With the Lord's Supper, we look back as well. Listen to what Paul said to the church of Corinth, uh, picking up in, uh, in verse 23. The first thing he wants us to do is to remember what Christ did. Remember what Christ did. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the covenant of my blood. Now, this cup wasn't just a literal cup like you see on these columns up front. It it meant something more than that. It was also a cup of suffering. In the garden, Jesus is getting ready to pray. In just a few few hours, he's going to pray these words from Matthew 26. My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. My father, if this is not 
if this, cup, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So this cup is a symbol of the suffering that Jesus was going to endure. With this cup, we look back and we remember what Christ did. But we also have to remember what we are doing. Look what he said in verse uh, 23 through 25. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember what Christ did, but we also have to be conscious and remember what we are doing. Listen to what he said um, in, in uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in verse 25, as often as you do it, as often as you do it. He does not dictate that it should be done on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. He just said every time you get together, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let me, let me offer an idea to you, and this might change the way you eat or you think about your family meal. Do you realize that every time you sit down and put anything in your mouth, it can be it can be a reminder of what Christ has done for you. You're going, to go, you're going to go eat lunch. Some of you are going to go eat lunch when we're done here. I don't know where you're going to go, but if you go and have pizza, do you think about the fact that, that as you eat that, that, that it can be symbolic of the sacrifice that Christ made for you, that as his body was torn apart, it gives you life. As you drink your, your Coke Zero, that that, that that is symbolic of the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. Now, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there's nothing magic about these stale crackers and this Welch's grape juice, right? I mean, it's not, those things themselves are not what is sacred. What is sacred is what they symbolize. And so if we're conscious of that, if we're mindful of that, if we're mindful of what we're doing, everything we do can be a reminder of what, the, of what Christ has done for us. When we eat the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming the message of the gospel. We're declaring that we are dependent on his death as our body is dependent on food and on water. The Lord's Supper is a renewal. Every time we do it, it's a renewal of our commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a renewal of our commitment to each other. It's a renewal of our commitment to his mission. As often as you do this, your family, every time you sit around the table, the reason we offer a blessing isn't to ask God to bless the food. I mean, let's be realistic here, right? I mean, we're not praying for God to drive all germs out of the food so you don't get sick. I mean, what are we doing? We are acknowledging, even in a simple prayer before a meal, that God, it is not by bread alone that we live, but every word that comes from the mouth of God is what gives us life. And so you can be conscious and mindful of everything that you are doing. So we look around, we look back, but we, the Lord's Supper is also an invitation to look forward. Look forward to what Christ will do. Listen to what it says in, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as, as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the Lord's Supper, while it does remind us of Jesus' death, it's not a funeral meal. It's actually a rehearsal for the wedding supper of the Lamb. It is a rehearsal and a reminder that Jesus said, every time you do this, don't just look back and remember what I did. Remember what I'm going to do. That I am going to come back and that I'm going to prepare a table before you. And I'm going to invite you to come to this feast. So it's not just a look back, it's a look within, it's a look forward as we anticipate what Jesus is going to do. So the Lord's Supper 
is an invitation for us to look around. Be mindful of the people around you. It's an invitation for us to look back. Remember what Christ did. Remember what we are doing. Remember what he will do. And finally, the Lord's Supper is an invitation for us to look within. Look within. Listen to these verses from uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Whoever therefore, therefore is an important word. Anytime in your Bible you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what is it there for? Because it is connecting something. What is it there for? Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, now we're going to come back to that in just a minute, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself or herself, then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now let me just kind of take this apart because I I think what Paul is inviting the Corinthians to do is the same thing he's inviting us to do. And that is as you come to the Lord's table, it's an opportunity to examine yourself. It's an opportunity to look within. And he he warns people about taking it in an unworthy manner. Now, this has been debated for centuries about what does it mean. First of all, I think it's important to to just think about it from a logical standpoint and and recognize that worthy people don't need the Lord's Supper. If you were truly worthy, you wouldn't need it. If you were good enough, you wouldn't need Jesus to die for your sins, right? If you were perfect. But we're all willing to admit what? Well, I'm not perfect. We're all willing to admit that, right? But it's the very fact that we're not perfect that means we need the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. So there's a sense in which nobody is ever worthy. So what is Paul talking about when he says, if you take it in an unworthy manner? Well, he's not talking about perfectionism. He's talking about brokenness. There's a difference between somebody who recognizes their brokenness and their sin And somebody who is broken and sinful and doesn't recognize it. You can see it all the time. You recognize it. You see it, it shows up as pride. They're not willing to admit their shortcomings. They're not willing to acknowledge their brokenness. And what Paul is basically saying is that somebody like that can't take the Lord's Supper. They shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. They're putting themselves at risk because they don't recognize their own brokenness. Paul is not saying you have to be perfect. Now, when he says the word therefore, early in this passage, he is connecting the dot from everything that he has just said about the church at Corinth to taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. See, this is not a warning to abstain from the Lord's Supper if you told a little white white lie on your way to church today. Now, some of you may have done that, and you may not want to take the Lord's Supper today, and that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. But Paul's not specifically saying, if if you're coming here today and you've sinned, You can't take the Lord's Supper. What Paul is saying is that if you are living completely self-centered, if you are living with no acknowledgement of the needs of the people around you, you are living in an unworthy state. See, if you do not recognize your own sinfulness and brokenness, you cannot recognize the needs of the people around you. And in your failure to recognize the needs of the people around you, you are not in a spiritual position to receive what Christ has done for you through his sacrifice on the cross. Am I living selflessly or sacrificially with other people? 
Or am I living for my own comfort? Am I living to do what is right for me, what's convenient for me, what's good for me? Am I considering the needs of other people? Am I thoughtful about what this meal represents? Am I rec- do I recognize that it is my sin that has resulted in the need for Jesus' death, sacrificial death? It's not just the world. It's the fact that I'm sinful and broken. Am I coming to the Lord's Supper aware of what Christ has done for me? The Lord's Supper is a time for personal reflection. And as we come together to share the Lord's Supper today, um, I'm going to ask those who are serving to come and take their place. Um, And we're going to, as we share the Lord's Supper today, we're going to invite you to come and take the bread out of the basket and you'll be reminded that this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. And there'll be somebody standing there with a cup. And you can take that cracker and dip it in that juice. And somebody will remind you, this is the blood of Christ poured out for you. Uh, We have uh, folks who will be ushering, and they'll release you one row at a time to come forward. And you come forward to to share in the Lord's Supper together. But as you're sitting, I want to invite you to reflect. And I want to invite you to just do three things, okay? Three things. I want to invite you to look around you. Maybe as you see people passing by. See, I love the way we do communion here at Southside because you actually get to see folks. But I want to invite you to pray for people as they pass by you. I want you you just in your mind to think, you do not know what they're going through. You don't know the struggle that they're facing today. Look around you and ask yourself, are you living in a way that acknowledges the body of Christ that That it's more than just me, that Christ did this for us, to draw us together, to make us one. But I also want to invite you to look back. I want you to think about what it is that Jesus did for you. I want you to reflect on the meaning of the sacrifice. That Jesus loved you, God has loved you so much, that he would pay the penalty for every sin you've ever committed. And look back and remember. And as you eat this bread and as you dip it in this juice... To be reminded that this is for you. But I also want to invite you to look within. What is it in you that is incomplete, that's broken? What is it in you today that this meal is for your healing? Maybe there's a sin that you are still struggling to overcome. Maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe there's a fear or a doubt. Maybe there's some level of worry. Maybe there's anger. I don't know what it is, but what is it inside of you right now that needs the sacrifice of Jesus to bring healing and wholeness to you? I'm going to invite you to pray, and then I'm going to invite those who are serving to begin to uh, invite you forward. If if, if mobility is a problem for you, if you'll just stay seated and motion, uh, the usher who's passing will bring you the elements to you. If you're in the balcony, uh, you all are free to go to either end of the balcony to receive the Lord's Supper at any time you feel Uh, ready to do that. But I just invite you as we do this today to think about what you're doing. Be conscious and aware and worship the Lord through the act of sharing in his suffering through the Lord's Supper. Father, we come to you today mindful of the great sacrifice of Jesus. Father, we look around us and there's no way that we can be fully aware of the suffering and the hardships of those who are here today. And Lord, unless we take the time to consider that, 
we'll always just push forward with our agenda, we'll always just push forward with our needs, and we'll miss the fact that there are those around us who are being left behind. And, and in doing that, Lord, we're not being a good representation of what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. So Lord, today, help us to be mindful as we share this meal that it's for us. Lord, help us to look around. Father, we also come and, and we don't have the benefit of the first century church, of having seen the tremendous sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But Father, through this meal, we can, we can be reminded of the price that was paid, the cup of suffering that Jesus willingly drank on our behalf. Father, help us to look back. And finally, Lord, I would ask that we would all look within. For some who are here today, they don't feel worthy. They recognize their sin. They recognize their shortcoming. They recognize their brokenness. And Lord, in doing so, they're perfect candidates to take the Lord's Supper today because that's the reason you did this. But Lord, for any of us who are consumed with our own pride, who are consumed with our own righteousness, Father, may we not do this as an act of hypocrisy. Help us to look within. And Father, we just pray that as we worship you through the sharing of this meal, that our hearts would be transformed and our minds would be changed to be more like Jesus. As we ingest this meal, may you give life to us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.